0: elegance today. Don't you concede that? (laughs) And you must also concede that this uh, mustache is growing to unbelievable luxuriance. In fact, uh, I have to concede that at a very early age, I was subliminally influenced by Dr. Fu Manchu. In fact, uh, did you ever see pictures of Fu Manchu? I mean, you know, uh, when those stories will appear, you long, thin... Of course, the, the true Fu Manchu mustache consists of long, thin hairs that hang down almost to your your breast bone, you know, the long, breaking. But the thing about Fu Manchu that nobody talks about... Well, bring it up there, please. We'll talk about things about Fu Manchu that nobody talks about. <laughs> I you. You, you just can't beat it. There's, there's the never-ending tapestry of life on this program, the never-ending tapestry of life well, the thing they never mentioned about Fu Manchu is not his mustache, it was a that. Uh, the thing they don't talk about, though, is there were two outstanding characteristics that Dr. Fu Manchu had, uh, other than the fact, of course, he had a massive intellect that was incredible in its, uh, in its uh, ramifications and its total concept of evil. Uh, he, he, uh, he applied his massive intellect to evil purposes. In fact, there was a great deal of thought that that Fu Manchu was, in fact, an agent of the devil. If not, the devil himself. Uh, He had a great impact, fantastic imagination. And what's more important, he applied it. Now many of us, you know, lay around underneath the radiators of the life that we live and uh, think great thoughts, but we do nothing about it. Fu Manchu worked at it. Uh, And furthermore, He had some interesting physical characteristics. Al, did you ever read a Fu Manchu Story? All right, now, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, Almost every... Now, now, I don't know why I have to do this, but uh, you see that the the thirst for human knowledge consumes me at times. And uh, while other people in my my, uh, undergraduate work uh, in the university were, were hard at work studying the ironic ramifications of the novels of Jane Austen, uh, they were, they were, <laughs> they were dealing uh, with, a, with the with the uh, the uh, the essays of the Montaigne. Uh, they were working hard on the uh, on the implied uh, apocalyptic vision of Rambo. Uh, I personally applied myself with enormous diligence in studying uh, the works of Saxe Roman, who, by the way, is the creator. Was the creator of Dr. Fu Manchu. I mean, how many of you knew that? And incidentally, there is one very famous picture of Sax Romer. Uh, Sax Romer was an English writer, of course, but there was one famous picture of Sax Romer where he, on the back of one of his, of his books, and you know, there's a dust jacket photo, where he was dressed in the garb of Dr. Fu Manchu. He was a long ivory cigarette holder. He looked the face. He looked uh, evil, and it's uh, kind of strange picture, looked uh, like that. <laughs> uh, curious that he had a long robe with the high collar, in collar, and all. But uh, the thing which was important to remember about Doctor Fu he had he had curious physical attributes. Among them, uh, he had the eyes. What what what, what, were, what were important about his eyes? No, 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 piercing. Why half the cab drivers I know got piercing eyes? <laughs> he did not. Have, he had piercing eyes, of course. But his eyes had a particularly fascinating, uh, almost almost. Well, it, it was it was an inhuman quality. What was it? Well, I'll tell you what it was. And again, I'm faced with less than. Now, once again, I face it, the fact that I do have—I walk alone, largely. In my great knowledge of the trivia of the world, I have to concede that. But uh, this was not necessarily trivia. You see, it was an important characteristic of Doctor Manchu, and in fact, was often used to uh, augment the idea that C. Nayland Smith had—that Doctor Fu Manchu was not human at all. He was another breed. He was—he was another level of. of uh, of uh, creativity, another creature, in fact. What was it? Well, I'll tell you what it was. Uh, have you ever observed the eyes of the snake? You know that the snake's eyes, they do not have lids, such as you and I have, but a particular type of eye that films over, They have a film that goes over the eye. And this was a characteristic of Dr. Fullman showed. And the pupil of the eye, instead of being round as the pupil of your eye is, he had thin vertical slits, much as the sort of eye one sees in the reptilian body. Now, this, this is going to, that would stop you, even on the subway. You're used to seeing insane sights on the subway. Somebody got on the subway with eyes like that, you're broke. But he had another characteristic, curious characteristic. His skin was, was was not the type of skin that you and I have, you know, ordinary skin. His skin appeared to be aged parchment. It, uh, it appeared, he it, it seemed totally aged. In fact, uh, uh, there was one passage where, where C. Nailin Smith, observing Fu Manchu under a brilliant white light, which he often affected in his inner chambers. My God! man appears to be thousands of years old, yet he appears to be ageless. Oh. Uh, this is also an interesting characteristic. And one of the things he had, he had enormously long, curling fingernails, which of course were the mark of the Mandarin uh, cast in which he came, meaning that long fingernails meant that he would have never indulged in physical labor. At no point do uh, his hands touch such things as, as uh, tools. <laughs> so, so uh, now, now these are all part of of, uh, of the uh, you know of the of the literary background which I work and You can see that the mustache I have affected is a little bit influenced by Doctor Manchu, although as it is it's not one with the flare. Uh, you must have the, the thin parchment faced aquiline look of a reptile about. The Right. So you get the perfect, the perfect feeling for this mustache. Uh, it's, uh, not many can wear it. Yeah, incidentally, uh, tonight uh, we're, we're going to take this opportunity uh, to salute one of our, our uh, citizens who has risen above the ordinary call of duty and the ordinary muck and mile of 20th century life. And uh, curiously enough, it is a bird. We are going to salute a bird named Charles, known familiarly with his friends as Charlie. Uh, who was uh, well? I, I I have to I read a piece to you. It's uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's symbolically enough from Philadelphia. We all know of the boo bird proclivities of the Philadelphians, right? But only in Philadelphia is the boo a major art form, and youngsters are taught from very earliest infancy on how to get distance and variety and uh, a piercing quality to their boos. B-O-O boo. And uh, the Philadelphian stands alone. And, and yet, uh, it's interesting enough, even the animal life in the Philadelphia area is and has been affected by this. We have a note from one of the Philadelphia papers, one of my favorite humor papers, the bulletin Philadelphia. Great origin of, of unconscious humor. And it says police in the Middle, Middletown township, Bucks County, which is just outside Philadelphia, you know the area there. Yesterday morning received a report that a large talking blackbird was terrorizing children on their way to school in Levittown. Well, it's not easy to terrorize a child on his way to school out of Levittown. Uh, this is a, a community conceived in the, in the spirit of pure Kafka from the start. But uh, nevertheless, you know the shepherd's waspish whip tonight does not stop. Uh, <laughs> who's Kafka? Well, that'll be your homework for tonight. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it sounds like he plays for the Detroit Lions, doesn't he? But, uh, you know, a linebacker, perhaps. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we uh, we must point out that this bird was uh, walking around on the sidewalks outside of Leviton, and, um, and whenever he was approached, uh, what made this bird interesting, when he was approached, uh, he would holler one thing, which I think is kind of interesting. It's a phrase not used often by Americans unless you happen to be from Philadelphia. When approached, he would say the following,
1: Ah!
0: bug off! I repeat, for those of you who didn't quite get that, so capable of understanding how birds thought you ah! Ah! approach Ah! And then he would say clearly in a distinct voice, Watch out, ready to go here. Ah!
1: bug off! Bug off!
0: So Charlie, uh, Philadelphia bird, already is, uh, Is uh, displaying uh, a marked animosity to his environment by yelling bug off to anybody that shows up. He didn't know what he was saying. (laughs) Not everybody. You see, the reason I can understand how birds talk is because uh, I grew up uh, in very close proximity to a talking crow uh, who uh, lived on top of a garage, on top of Stanford's garage, about four garages away from our garage and he would sit on the top of the garage and just, you know, talk to the neighborhood occasionally. And uh, what he used to say, uh, albeit I must say his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, power to communicate was strong, which incidentally is often the case of those of limited vocabulary. He told you what he meant. Now, uh, he didn't do it with subtlety and grace, but he did it with great effectiveness. And this uh, pro who was named John, he used to just sit up on top of Stanford's garage. And once in a while he would just holler, damn! So he hollered. Bring <laughs> it up there live. <laughs> he was big, man.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, uh, there's a kid has taken this uh, bird in tow. This bird followed me home. So he wants to keep it as a pet. In case you're curious what kind of bird it is, it looks like a crow and the some have crows before and I don't know whether you know anything about crows. The crows can be uh, the most maddening of birds. And uh, before we go into that, uh, uh, you know, they, they speckle, first of all, they speckle the landscape with droplets of one kind or another. And by the way, W R is an old Chinese word. You know, warm name, you, you, know you know what it means, don't you? You know what it means? In Chinese? It means soft and gooey. Which... Kind of adequately, uh, you know. Soft and gooey. Yeah, war main means soft noodles. Main meaning noodles. War main meaning soft and gooey noodles. I mean, you know, it's just a coincidence. I mean, uh, <laughs> could have meant mean rotten noodles, but it doesn't. It means soft and gooey noodles. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I would like to uh, point out, though, that this dog, you know, is this dog that uh, has, uh, brought this little note here. We have a dog that makes occasional deliveries on the twentieth floor. He carries his stuff in his mouth and uh, brought this stuff up here. Made a rotten remark about the bird Charlie and left. Which uh, you know, there's a lot of intramural strife these days. You know that every group is trying to hang on to its own, and the more than that, it won't give up. its identity for the identity of the common good, right? You've noticed this. Well, this is true, but almost everybody one way or another and I and I this clipping on the bulletin you know out I'm looking about the and I often find that, that that when my spies send me clippings the stuff that they think is great is really the secondary stuff on the backside of the clipping is often the best stuff which are, you know they'll exit out like don't look at this and they well here's here's what was exited uh, I don't know whether you follow Andy cap or not much do you? Well, uh, Andy Cap, uh, Andy Cap often touches upon the human condition, which is certainly nothing that, uh, that Snoopy does. Snoopy touches on something else, but certainly with the human condition It's certainly not the condition of either, but uh, nevertheless, uh, Andy Cap does deal with the human condition, and, and in ways you, all, you rarely see dealt with in comic strips. For example, in comic strips, uh, generally, when people have arguments, they're very... The very uh, uh, you know the blondie type thing. There's nothing but funniness involved. It's never bitterness, right? There's uh, never bitterness that is in the comic strips. But Andy Cap, now uh, here for, here's a typical strip. It shows his wife. Well, what's his wife's name? The, uh, trivia question. What's Andy's wife's name? Well, see there again. I'm faced with a blank wall of ignorance. Uh, for those of you who are. Than I am, I will have to say, is Flo. His wife's name is Flo. What's the name of her girlfriend? You don't know that either. All right. Uh, you do know Andy's name is Andy. You, you That's penetrated your skull, right? But uh, do you know what his name is a play on? It's, his name is Andy Cap. What is that a play on? You don't see the meaning of that. Well, of course, you realize he's a horse player. And he's also Cockney. So when you'd say if you were a Cockney, how would you say the word handicap? You'd say Andy. You'd say Andy Cap, right? Well, all right, his name is thus Andy Cap. So or or Andy Cap. You prefer it that way, See, I'm Getting a little literate here about the comic strips, but uh, uh, let's say even more than that, I'm getting a little uh, a little discursive on the subject of comic strips. But uh, nevertheless, Andy Cap does occasionally touch on the human condition particularly the relationship of man and woman which uh, as we all know is a highly complex uh, interpersonal relationship by the way I heard a fantastic thing the other day I'm walking along on Greenwich Avenue say it was down the village and you hear these you hear these lines just come weaning out at you <laughs> that uh, that could that could come right out of a uh, out of a jewels piper cartoon one of the better cartoons by Pfeiffer and here's this chick walking ahead of me and she's Got granny glasses, the whole bit, you know, the long, uh, the long fur coat, and the whole bit, you know, with the 17-inch uh, soles on his shoes, and all, she's hobbling along on these shoes, and uh, she's talking to uh, this male she was with, who was about six feet seven, weighed about 82 pounds, had a long white coat with white fur on the bottom, the beads hanging down, great mop of hair, you know, the whole bit, granny glasses and all, and she said the following: She said. You know what you're going to have to do? And he didn't answer. He could give you the along, looking glum. She said, you're going to have to expand the creative aspect of your interpersonal relationships. Well, that's pure Pfeiffer. Uh, expand the creative aspect of your interpersonal relationships. Now, that's pure new school. Uh, right, <laughs> right down the line. <laughs> Which is to say, it doesn't have much to do with reality, but it makes great conversation. Makes fantastic uh, uh, captions for cartoons. And here she just said it, you know, right in front of uh, right in front of the Ace Free Bookstore, symbolically. And they just laid it out there saying, and I figured you know, it was some kind of a, yeah, you know, I figured it was some kind of a, a an improv uh, acting group out working out on the sidewalk, you know, get a little uh, work in among the people. But no, no, he looked at her, you know, with this 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 look of a, uh, of, uh, you know, sad look of a beagle who has just been turned off the alpo And, uh, you know, he was cut to the quick. And he said to her the following, he says, what do you mean? My relationships are very creative. And they walked along for another two or three yards, and I'm listening, you know, she's saying nothing, he's saying nothing. And finally she says, well, if you call your interpersonal relationships creative I certainly would like to know what Sally's are. <laughs> well I'd like to know you know I can just see Sally her interpersonal relationships are so creative I could see her you know the crowd gathering at her house every day and wearing paper hats and blowing horns and uh, so so he walked along again another 20 feet see, and I'm behind by this time I'm deeply drawn into this this uh, this drama that's going on on a street see and uh, they both, by the way, both of them had plastic shopping bags marked capizio. So uh, you know you got the whole you got the whole thing going. See, so he finally sits there and he says, "Well, if you call Sally's relationships created, if you call her relationships interpersonal, creative, I don't want to have anything to do with that sort of thing." Well. At that point, they turned left, <laughs> and I lost them. <laughs> well, now you know this uh, this kind of this this uh, this kind of give and take. Well, not essentially communication, is at least a, 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 a classical form. It's almost a, a conversational pas de deux. It's a far more symbolic than real. Uh, and, and that, of a, I suppose, is the, is the final essence of what is being attempted. But now, what did what did Andy do? You see, what's what's this got to do with Andy Cap? Well, the first picture shows Flo. See, Andy is walking in very fast from the front door, and he's going up the stairs. See. And 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 he walks right by Flo. Obviously, says so nothing to him. He just walks by and up. And she hollers, she's got her hair up in curlers, and she's hollering up the stairs, and she says, Look, even servants get spoken, even servants get spoken to. Talk to me, talk to me. Dead son. Now she's in front of the door upstairs, where obviously he's in the bedroom. And she's picking up his clothes, by the way, which have been scattered along the Staircase and up to the top of the stairs. He's been taking his clothes off as he's coming in. See that she's picking him up. She says, "Well." Dead silence. Now they're both in the sack there. Andy is laying there. He's still got his cap on, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he has check her cap on all the time. And he's 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 going to sleep. Or you know he's laying there all burrowed in, and she's sitting next to him, wearing her uh, wearing her hair up in curlers. She's got a robe on. And now Andy finally says the only thing he's gonna say to her this night. He says, a very unusual thing happened to me in the pub tonight. Nothing. End of the evening. (laughs) And she's looking fun. Well now, you see, this is a condition which is quite common among the lesser creative aspects of the interpersonal relationships, particularly between the two sexes of the species. We of course are excluding other sexes, which will be taken up later on in our discussion. However, uh, the, <laughs> the fact that, that silence often settles down a complete uh, a complete wall of, of uh, impenetrable silence and blankness settles down between two human beings at a certain point in their relationship. Do you agree with this, Al? Occasionally broken by an outburst of, of uh, oratorical gunfire. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when one will try a probing action
1: <laughs>
0: and then get blasted and shot down and retreat again to silence. But I had an experience one time. You know, it, you learn about these things gradually in life. You, know? you don't learn these things in, in, in sociology classes, believe me. Uh, in fact, you don't learn damn much in sociology classes, except a lot of great terms. Uh, you, yeah, you're a lot of, you learn a lot of great conversational gambits, but the, whether it deals much with the way people are or not is certainly highly problematical, but, you know, you can read. It's just like anything else. You can, you can read all the books you want on sharks, but getting eaten by a shark is another thing entirely. I mean, <laughs> very, very different thing. I, I, uh, and yet a lot of people's lives are, are all this way. They're all vicarious, you know. They, they, they could tell you all about Indians. They've never seen one. Uh, they, they uh, yeah, they know all about they know all about sharks. They've never seen one of those either. Uh, they can tell you all about storms at sea because they've read everything in *Comrade*. You know, and, and they've read everything uh, that's ever been written by Melville on the subject. But uh, it's just n- nothing to do with the reality. The reality is another ball game entirely. So you learn these things only by being there, ultimately. And then after that point, you don't say much uh <laughs> because once you have run a of reality there isn't much to say because what you say you know never really approximates the, the truth of it never way uh and no no uh, it just maybe touches on the edges of it but never quite deals with the core in fact I remember I, I this friend of mine so he says, all right I'll tell you how I learned about this aspect of life you know the 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 uh, the, the non-creative, interpersonal relationships. This friend of mine. <laughs> guy, you know, you're a know, very jovial guy, you know, he's a funny son of a guy, you know. He's a, a buddy of mine too, that I knew. We've been friends for a long time. And uh, one day, he came home and uh, came back to the, to, I, this was in, in college, incidentally. I was going to school at the time. And uh, still gooey-eyed, uh, bright, brightened, uh, you know, I figured that the, uh, if anything can be done, if you, if you work hard enough at it, you know, this is a period you go through in your life where you think that anything, any problem can be solved if we all concentrate on it. Uh, this is actually believed. In other words, the, the concept of the insoluble problem is an <laughs> The idea that some problems can't be solved by anything, this, this really is, is very discouraging. And you see it often today. You hear people say, uh, well, if we can land people on the moon, how come we can't do away with the race problems? Oh man, I mean, you know, that's 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 roughly like saying, uh, you know, if we can kill the ladybugs that are hanging around the front yard,
1: why can't we get rid of bubonic plague?
0: Two different things, <laughs> of a totally different magnitude. Uh, a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, is is a is a is a is a well-known research. Medical doctor, he, he does nothing but research. In fact, at Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia, and he says one of the things that really makes him laugh is when he hears, you know, otherwise well-informed, uh, well-informed, uh, a serious uh, a commentator say something,
1: and now the science editor reports, and he says, "Well, uh, today's editorial consists of a matter of fact. This
0: court can see no reason why." A nation with the fantastic economic, scientific capabilities as these United States, and then able to land a man on the moon, is unable to solve the problem of the simple cold. It is a matter of priority. That's tonight's editorial. Good night. My friend says the simple cold is probably one of the most complex diseases known to man. Did you know that, Al? The cold... (laughs) Solving, putting a guy on the moon is like uh, is like uh, building a triangle with children's blocks, you know, one on top of the other, compared uh, to let us say, uh, uh, (laughs) let us say, uh, mastering quantum mechanics by a chimpanzee. He says the common cold is probably one of the most enigmatic of man's afflictions. Well, that's, you know, ignorance will always lead you to believe things are that simple. And uh, and to be able to to parallel solving racial problems with landing people on the moon is to either, either you don't know anything about landing people on the moon or you don't know anything about race problems. Quite probably both. Uh, So... (laughs) So you know you you, you you're, you're faced with this kind of insanity all the time. Otherwise serious people will appear on the and they always get an applause. This is always going to get you applause. You appear on the Dick Cavett show, and Dick uh, Cavett says, uh, and uh, what other uh, what other uh, great profound ideas do you have, Jane? At which point, uh, whoever is being spoken to will say, well, uh, to show you how insane the values of modern man are we can put people on the moon but at no point have been there have we been able to solve a, the comparatively simple problem of poverty then of course there's a great roar of applause because to the average doodot this is a <laughs> this is obviously a uh, a uh, you see one can be solved by the application of money in other words Uh, to to carry it a little further. One problem is soluble by money. In other words, you can, if you spend enough money, you can solve the problem of putting a guy on Mars because it primarily takes technological research, technological research, and technological hardware to put a guy on Mars. But no matter how much money you spend, the problems that are very subtle problems of the human mind are insoluble to the Money can't do it. Uh, In other words, you could sell, you, you could spend $12 billion tomorrow to make people believe in the Ten Commandments. Would that make them believe in it? No way. Uh, and so the idea being that if you can spend money in one aspect of life and solve the problem, why can't you spend money, they'll say, take that money away that we're spending on uh, sending people to the moon and apply it to the problems of race relationships and, uh, well, you know, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm not against putting money in the race problem. I'm just saying but don't, don't think for a minute that's going to solve it. No way. It has something else to do. Uh, there's, there's a thing of the human spirit. But be that as it may, uh, i, I, I you, you learn these things very gradually. So this friend of mine comes home. See, one day from from a weekend, he's gone, and uh, he says, uh, "You know, you know what happened to me? We were both working at this radio station at night. It was a TV radio combined operations so and we'd run back and forth. I'm doing TV for a while, he's doing radio, back and you know that kind of deal in the pool and all. So, uh we we're both going to school, and he comes back. On a Monday after this uh, after this weekend thing and uh, he looks he looks kinda kind of uh, like he's got a great uh, truth in heart. Finally said, What's he new, George? What you know, is well might as well say. I said, What, George? Well, you know what I did this weekend? Well, you know, that's a rhetorical question. So I, I, I often uh, irritate people by taking rhetorical questions. I says, uh, yeah, well, let me, th- let me guess. Uh, you uh, took a walk to Euclid, Ohio, and stopped with Howard Johnson on the way, uh, the one out there on Route 12, right? He says, nope. Guess again. I, oh, I know what you did. Uh, he went out to, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Dan Prufrock, and you helped him drive the valves on a Chevy, right? He said, nope, wrong. I said, well, what the hell did you do? I hate people. I said, what did you do? Are you either going to tell me or not, you know? He said, all right, I'll tell you. I got married. <laughs> oh, what a problem. I said, you got what? He said, you got married. He said, oh, yeah, I got married. All set. I said, who the hell did you marry?
1: Yeah,
0: girl, I knew. I said, I know that. I said, Come on, you know. I said, well, girl, I know. the playback of this program to bring you CBS News Live here on WKAT, Miami Beach, Miami.
2: CBS News. Secretary of State Kissinger this morning is talking about a proposal for troop disengagement along the Suez Canal. This is Ann Crosman reporting on the CBS Radio Network. More on Kissinger's meeting in Jerusalem from Bruno Wassertal.
1: Secretary Kissinger is now breakfasting with Deputy Premier Yigal Alon and digesting the results of the efforts of the American and Israeli working committees that labored through the night on the fine points that a disengagement agreement would entail. After his meeting with Alon, Kissinger will confer privately with Defense Minister Moshe Dayan and Chief of Staff General David al-Azhar. Then, while the Secretary of State takes time out to tour the Israel Museum, accompanied by Jerusalem Mayor Teddy Kollek, the Israeli cabinet will meet to crystallize its position on a disengagement formula. Secretary Kissinger will then meet again with key members of the cabinet to get the definitive Israeli stand, which he'll convey to Egypt's President Sadat later today. It's generally expected that after a further round of talks with the Egyptian leader, Kissinger will be back here to nail down any loose ends. Anyway, the hotel here is keeping Secretary Kissinger's old room ready. Bruno Wassertal for CBS News in Jerusalem.
2: The latest on the president in a minute. A healthy, happy child. There's nothing that can be more satisfying to a woman. If you hope to have children soon, the President's Committee on Mental Retardation urges you to see a doctor even before you become pregnant. Good medical care will prevent complications which could result in a mentally retarded
1: child. Hello, I'm Carol O'Connor. I've got a friend and he's an owl. An owl named Woodsy. He's the new national symbol for a clean environment. He knows how to beat pollution, but he needs your help. As Archie Bunker would say, Listen, when you are outside, don't be meatheads
0: painting the trees, the rocks, and the signs. Mother Nature paints the outdoors. You want to paint, go home and paint your house or your furniture or something. Join me and Woodsy. Give a hoose. Don't peruse. Huh?
2: President Nixon, his wife, Pat, and daughter, Tricia, have landed at Andrews Air Force Base near Washington. The presidential party flew in from San Clemente on board a small government jet. White House spokesman Gerald Warren said the Secret Service felt that flying on a government plane was safest because most people expected Mr. Nixon to take a commercial plane. The president flew to California on a commercial flight the day after Christmas. Warren says that Mr. Nixon wanted to be back in Washington in time to rest and to watch the Super Bowl game on television today. Chairman Sam Irvin of the Senate Watergate Committee says the committee's investigation could be wound up quickly if the White House releases five presidential tapes of conversations with former White House counsel John Dean. Irvin was asked if he still would like the president to testify before the committee. The president
1: said long ago he would not appear before the committee. I have always maintained that he should, that uh, the president of the United States, I think, is subject to the laws just like everybody
2: else. Irvin was interviewed before giving a dedication speech at a furniture plant in Troutman, North Carolina. Some residents of Phnom Penh, Cambodia woke up early this morning to the sound of rockets landing in their city. Police say at least 10 people were wounded when one rocket hit the yard of a French diplomat. The Associated Press quotes the diplomat as saying that his wife and one of his children were among those injured. The second rocket reportedly landed in a river and caused no damage. A truck that was loaded with a bomb blew up last night in a town at Omagh in Northern Ireland. The blast destroyed a tavern and four stores. British police say no one was seriously hurt. HOTS Majority Leader Thomas O'Neill has promised early action on some energy proposals when Congress reconvenes in a week. O'Neill says that Congress will vote on a bill to limit excess profits that have resulted from rising petroleum prices. O'Neill says Congress may also act on lowering the 22% oil depletion allowance that oil companies are now allowed to take. O'Neill says he expects fast resolution of an emergency energy bill that is now deadlocked in conference because of a provision to limit windfall profits of oil companies more in a minute. This is Joan Crawford speaking for USO, United Service Organization. Do we as civilians know what it's like to be far from home in a foreign land? Listen to this real-life documentary about one of our servicemen over there. Uh Do you speak English? Nein, ich spreche. sure can. This is the USO and we have all kinds of help. That's why I support USO and you should too. USO makes a man feel closer to home while he's serving his country for you. Isn't money the least you can give? Please support USO. Bing Crosby's doctor says he'll decide today whether or not to operate on Crosby's lung abscess. Doctors are still baffled by what is causing the abscess. Crosby is reported in satisfactory condition at a California hospital. Good news for Johnny Weissmuller, the former Olympic swimmer and Tarzan actor, is out of a Las Vegas hospital after being treated for a heart ailment. Weissmuller now works as a greeter in a hotel in Las Vegas. This is Ann Crosman, CBBS News. With, with.
0: Terry Shaddock of Tranquility. If you're good enough to be the best, you should consider a career in the US Air Force. Highly trained and skilled professionals and technicians make up the aerospace team, and only
2: the best can qualify. If you want a special career, as well as a chance to see part of the world, check with your local Air Force recruiter. See if you can make the
1: team. Stay tuned for more of Gene Shepherd's Saturday night, which is really Sunday morning, on WKAT, the Talk of Miami.